The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We continue in our series that we call Disconnected, and this morning we'll be looking at God's Word together. You might open your Bibles or your devices to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be there. It's going to be about 10 minutes from now, but we'll be there eventually to look at God's Word together. Father, as we look at the Word, would you teach us this morning? Would you, Holy Spirit, guide my thoughts and my lips to speak truth boldly, but not brashly? But I pray that uh, this word will capture the hearts of each of us in the name of Jesus. Amen. He had a lot on his mind. It had been a long day. He couldn't sleep. He crawled out of bed and began to mindlessly surf through the channels. There's really nothing to watch, and uh, so he popped open his laptop. His business has, was no longer a challenge to him. It was the same old, same old every day. He knew what to do. He did it well. He made plenty of money for his family, and he was frankly quite bored. Home was just like it. Same old, same old. After 20 plus years of marriage, about 25 years of marriage, the passion between them had waned and even grown stale. There was no variety. There was less excitement. They lived more like roommates than lovers. Uh, they, they shared a checkbook, and they shared kids, and they even had a grandkid on the way, but they lived a lonely existence in the same house. The depth of their communication was limited to where they would go out and eat and what was happening with the kids and what the weather would be like in the morning so they knew how to dress. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who was involved in the community. His business was thriving. He employed people. He was a regular church giving of his time and his money. He had never cheated on his wife. He disdained and looked down upon those who had. This was his life. He was a good boy scout, but he was bored. He's bored at work, he was bored at home, and so when he was surfing through the channels and didn't see anything he really wanted to watch, he turned the TV off, he opened his laptop, and he began to read through some emails, and then he went to the news. He's looking at the news, he scrolled down to the bottom, and he saw a picture that led him down a path he'd never been on before. Path to pornography, and he was snared. His mind was captured, the digital media in front of him captured his heart and captured his mind and the initial guilt was forgotten in no time. Before he knew it, he had become involved in an avalanche that he couldn't get out of. The first peak led to another peak and another peak and once the slide began, it never stopped and he was bound up in this avalanche and he wanted to get out but he didn't know how and he couldn't and now he was addicted. He had an insatiable appetite for more. You see, inflamed desire just didn't go away. It created even more, a longing for more. And, and she was content. And as he began to look at more online, he wanted less of her and more of that. She was content with that. To her, the physical relationship became more of a duty than a delight. She realized he was busy at work and just decided that's why he was so consumed. One evening he was looking at stuff he shouldn't be looking at and a message popped up. There was an old girlfriend from high school days, some 30 years before, and she saw he was online and he saw she was there and she sent a note and said, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a long time. I hope everything's okay. One conversation led to another and one night led to another and eventually he got up the nerve to ask her to meet him for coffee. She said she would as long as in a different community, and so they met and had coffee. Coffee turned into an invitation to dinner one night, and when he threw the bait out, she snared it and she tucked it. 
That night he crossed a line he said he would never cross. Sparks were ignited. Intoxicated with the feelings of being wanted, they embraced at the end of the visit. Shockwaves rippled through their bodies and they arranged a meeting the next time, not for coffee or dinner, but for one another. And so they met. They crossed lines I said they would never cross. Her marriage was dull and boring. Her husband drank himself to sleep every night. He covered up the guilt by engaging his wife, perhaps more than he had in a long time, but it was really a facade. Every day in his mind, he wondered when he could arrange the next rendezvous and how he could keep sorted the web of lies that he had created for his wife and now even his kids who wanted to know where he was spending his time. He was distant at home. She thought it was because of work. One night or one afternoon, he was out doing yard work and his phone vibrated. He always had his phone on. It was unusual for his phone just to be left behind. And when the phone vibrated, she picked it up and she saw a text message and couldn't believe her eyes. And she began to look at more text messages. And she wanted to retch. She felt faint. She waved at him through the back door and then she held up the phone and we turned the lawnmower off. She screamed at the top of her voice, Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? That scenario, my friends, has been repeated thousands of times in the last few decades. Tens of thousands of times in history. For some of you hearing that story, it's really hard because you've lived that nightmare. For some of you, it's a past reality. It's a past reality, a painful reminder of what took place because you too were busted or maybe you were the one who busted an unfaithful spouse. For some of you right now, it's a present reality. You're sweating right now. You're saying Gary hadn't taken his one good eye off of me since he started this sermon already. <laughs> because this is your life. Because this is your life. And you wish you weren't here right now. I've heard these words many times in my office over the years. We've grown apart, Gary. We don't want to stay together. I don't love her. I never did. I've heard words like, he's impossible. I'm tired of having to be both his wife and his mother. I can't trust him. I can't trust her anymore. Every promise they ever made to me or the kids have been broken. All words from couples who have struggled staying connected. And that's why I've entitled this morning's message, Staying Connected. Staying connected. How do we stay connected in a world that says if you're unhappy, if you want out, you get out? How do we stay connected? What do we do? How do we accomplish that? I mean, that scenario that I just did, I have had my friends in the last two hours. I can't tell you the number of people that walked up to me after the service and said, Gary, that's my story. That's my story. That's my story. People have been guilty. People who are the victims of guilt of these things. And here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to talk, first of all, about what do the scriptures teach about being disconnected by divorce, but I'm going to go through that rather quickly. I've kept every sermon that I've ever preached in the 37 and a half years I've been at TBC. I've got file cabinets filled with old sermons. Now, uh, these sermons are actually typed out. In the early years, I wrote it on blue paper, and uh, I can't read a single word I wrote down there. It's awful. 
But when I went back, I preached seven messages in 37 years on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We've given through each of the gospels. They're mentioned each of the gospels. First Corinthians, we've done Deuteronomy, we've done Malachi. And so if you would like a detailed study on TBC's position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, I'll be glad to send you some links and you can listen to those. So I'm gonna breeze through that rather quickly because really what I wanna talk about is how to avoid becoming disconnected, how to stay connected. So we're gonna breeze through a couple of things and then we're gonna get to the five points I'd like to make at the end of that. First of all, in the Old Testament, God's ideal is very clear. It's one man, one woman for life. That's God's ideal. We've looked at this verse several times, Genesis 2.24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What we see in that particular passage is that marriage is monogamous, monogas, mono, one, gamos, is married one, one uh, woman, one man, one woman, so it's monogamous. It's not polygamous, it's monogamous. Secondly, it's permanent. For this cause a man shall leave, be joined together, the two become one, one is the indivisible number. God wants this to be a permanent union. So it is that which is monogamous. Secondly, it is permanent. Thirdly, it is heterosexual. It's between a man and a woman. If you'd like to talk to me about any of those things, I would be glad to do that. When we speak of mar- when I do a marriage ceremony and we talk about till death do us part, those are just not platitudes that we throw out there. Those are words that form a covenant between a man and a woman for the rest of their lives. The scriptures say, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So when we look at this, we recognize it doesn't say till disagreement, till dissatisfaction, till death to his part, but it says that we are to be in a permanent union with the one that God gives us. Secondly, we know that sin's shattering effects have, have hurt every relationship. Friendships, between brothers and sisters in Christ, friendships with others, and it certainly has impacted marriages as well. How many of you would say, uh, you're married, how many of you would say we have never struggled in our marriage a single time? Let me see your hands. That's what I thought. I mean, really, every one of us struggles sometimes, don't we? I mean, all of us have battles at times and we don't want it to be that way, but when Satan hissed into the ear of Eve and she bit of the forbidden fruit and when Adam partook of that fruit, the, the, the world crumbled. Our, our sin nature has become part of who we are and the result is we struggle in relationships, we struggle in marriage and if you would have raised your hand, I would tell you next week we're preaching on lying, so show up on that one and we'll get it all together. The amazing thing is not that marriages break up. The amazing thing is that marriages stay together. I mean, it's an amazing thing. A lifetime is a long time to live with another sinner. Amen? You better not amen that. But it is. I mean, that's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing. So there's a passage in Deuteronomy 24 that's probably the key passage in the Old Testament on marriage after Genesis 2.24. It's actually part of the, the law of Moses, so it's legal language. It's actually what we call a if-then clause. If these things happen, then the result would be this, cause and effect, right? So it's an if-then clause. It's legislation to the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. So here's what it says in Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman, he becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and he gives it to her and he sends her from his house and if she leaves his house and becomes a wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house or if he dies. So that's the if, okay? So you're married, 
the husband sends you away, or I would say the wife sends you away, and, uh, and there's a divorce that takes place, and then you remarry. So there's a second marriage, and that second marriage goes awry either through divorce or through death. Then it says this, then the fir- her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. Uh, they will be defiled. And so some people say, praise God, I don't have to divorce my second wife to go back to my first wife, my second husband to go back to my first husband. If something happens, I don't have to do that. Thank God I don't have to go back to that person, right? But I mean, that, that's what it says. That's the legislation that's given. Well, this became the battle royale between Christ and the Pharisees in marriage. Became the battle. Because there was a big question mark here. And the question mark is, it says, when he finds something indecent in her, we find an indecency in her. And the question became, well, what is this indecency? And it's a word that, 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 that is, a, is not an easy word to understand. First of all, we know it's not adultery. If he finds her as an adulteress, that's not the word because there was legislation given for adultery. What happened if you committed adultery? What happened to you? You, you got stoned. You got, and stone had nothing to do with marijuana back then, believe me, okay? <laughs> you, you were killed. You, you were killed on the spot. That's what it's about. And so that, that's what took place. And so what is this indecency? Well, basically, it became just about anything you wanted it to be. In the time of Jesus, there were two major schools of rabbinical thought. The school of Shammai, the school of Hillel. Shammai starts with an S. They were the stricter ones, the more conservative ones. Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L-L, all the L's, and they were the more liberal ones, all the L's liberal. That's how I remember that. My mind is a strange animal. So, but that's how I remember it. The Shammai, stricter, Hillel, liberal. And the, the school of Hillel was a larger school. More people followed that than anything else. And so they believed basically no fault divorce. You want it out, you get out much like our culture today. In fact, if you go back and look at some of the reasons people divorce, one was a man divorced his wife for spitting on the street, spitting on the street. Another one, because she ridiculed her in-laws. Imagine all the divorces that would take place. I'd be, I mean, it's amazing. And so, so basically that's what it was. So Jesus cut, so that's the Old Testament legislature. One man, one woman for life. And Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he speaks into this issue. He speaks into this issue. It's Matthew chapter 19. I had you turn to Colossians 3. Keep your fingers there or bookmark it on your device and go to Matthew 19 for a second. Matthew 19, Jesus is speaking, or actually the Pharisees come to Jesus, and it says in verse 3, the Pharisees came to him testing him. They're going to test Jesus. Imagine their gall. You're going to test the Son of God, but that's what they do. So they came to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? So they're saying, hey, we can divorce for any reason, right? And Jesus said to them, haven't you read? Well, of course they'd read, but they didn't understand. Have you not read that he created them male and female? And he said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So they, he says, uh, they say, we can divorce for any reason, right? He said, no, don't you know what the Bible says? Don't you know what Genesis says? And so they look at him and said, why then did Moses command to give to her a certificate of divorce? Well, Moses didn't command it. We just read Deuteronomy 24. He said, if she leaves, you give a certificate of divorce. In fact, in Hosea, he he accepted his wife back even though she became a prostitute. There was no command to divorce your bride. That command is not there. But they twist these words and say, did Moses command it? And Jesus responded and said in verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. It wasn't this way from the beginning, though. And then Jesus gives the only exception that he speaks of 
to those listening. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, the word is pornea, sex outside of marriage, and marries another woman, commits adultery, and disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to even marry. They said, this is too hard. If that's the only reason, if adultery is the only exception that's given to us, it's better to stay single. It's better to stay single. First hour, that word said immortality, which was quite interesting. <laughs> Guy came to me and said, yeah, I felt like my marriage was immortal. That was going to go on forever, but it didn't. So... But, but Jesus says, hey, there's one exception. The exception is you're to be married for a lifetime, but if one of the spouses is unfaithful, then you have a biblical right to divorce. You don't have to divorce. It's permitted because of your hardness of heart. In fact, we have seen God do some remarkable things in this body when one spouse has been unfaithful and God has brought them back together and redeemed that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then Paul weighs in, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says there's another exception. It's abandonment, abandonment, desertion. And so when we look at the scriptures, what we see is that we are called to be married for a lifetime. One man, one woman for life. Jesus says, except for the case of immorality. And Paul says, except for the case of abandonment. I've been asked about abuse a number of times. The scriptures don't specifically address the issue of abuse. You're not going to find a verse that talks about that, but I am going to tell you this. I would never counsel someone to stay in a, in a, in a home where they are being physically abused. I would not have you stay in that home. Do you have to divorce? Not necessarily, just as you don't have to divorce in these situations. So when I look at the two exceptions, the two exceptions being immorality and abandonment, as I understand the scriptures and our elders would agree with this, we've looked at this multiple times as an elder board studying this and we actually have a position paper on it. What we would say, TBC's position is, God is bullish on marriage. He loves the fact that we're married and wants us to be married. There are two exceptions. When sexual morality abandonment has taken place, the reason for divorce is sinful. Adultery is sinful, abandonment is sinful. But the right to divorce does exist. And I would say with the right to remarry in those situations. If you want the details of that, email me. I'll send you the links, and I can tell you about a good booklet you can read. <clears throat> now, let me say this. In 37-plus years of ministering at TBC, I've never told somebody to get a divorce. I've never counseled divorce. I've told many people you've got a biblical right to divorce. But I don't have to walk in their shoes. I'm not going to tell you when God is finished with a relationship. That's between you and him. And so as we counsel you, we may say you have a biblical right to divorce because your spouse has been unfaithful or has abandoned you. I will never say, now it's time to do it. Because I go home to a wife that loves me and a wife that cares for me and a wife that's been with me for 42 plus years. And so because of that, because of that, that becomes your decision through the spirit of God. And there's a biblical right at times to do that. So let me address three groups and we'll get to the positive part. Group number one, some of you out here are married and you want out, but you have no biblical grounds to get out. You're married. You want out of your marriage. You're saying, Gary, our marriage has become unholy dreadlock instead of holy wedlock. It's become a duel instead of a duet, but you don't have a biblical reason to get out. Let me give you my one word of counsel. Don't. Remember what the scriptures say in John. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And so you're saying, Gary, I'm stuck in this marriage. I mean, it's, it's not a good marriage. We don't love one another. We... 
The question you need to be asking is, what is God seeking to teach me in the midst of this? How can I become Jesus to my spouse? When I'm, love is not being returned or not, not being cared for, and I would think, I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear. San Francisco divorce attorney said, in all my years of practice, I've learned there are two things you should never into into prematurely, embalming and divorce. <laughs> so number one, first group of people, married, you want out, but you have no biblical reason, don't do it. Secondly, you've been cheated upon, you've been abandoned. The reason for your divorce was sinful. Somebody committed adultery, somebody abandoned you. The right to divorce and remarriage does exist for you. It exists for you. I'm gonna tell you, some of my heroes in this body are men and women who have been abandoned, who have been cheated on, and they walk with God. It's a hard, hard place to be. But we have some heroes in this body who have walked in forgiveness in ways that you could never imagine. And they walk with the Savior, they become victims. But they don't live as victims, they live as conquerors in Jesus Christ. And I say, may your tribe increase and keep clinging to the Savior. Thirdly, those of you who've disobeyed the word of God, you knowingly divorced, knowing it was wrong, what do you do? Well, some of you have dealt with that. You've heard sermons like this that I've preached or some of our teaching team have preached and you've come before the Savior and you, you have, you've rectified those things before him. But let me give you some steps. First of all, what if I've disobeyed the biblical pattern, the biblical command? First, if you, you've divorced unbiblically. Number one, you seek forgiveness first from God, then from others. You go to the Savior and say, hey, I need your forgiveness. I was wrong. Then you go to an ex-spouse and say, man, I understand biblical truth now. When I wrecked our marriage, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? There may be some kids, painful. Some of your parents have been through this. Some of you grew up in homes like this. You go to your kids and say, hey, I abandon you as your father, as your mother. Would you forgive me? Can you imagine what it would do to a college student who had a 40 or 50 year old mom or dad that came to him and sought their forgiveness? Secondly, accept forgiveness. Once you've come to the Father, his mercy is extended to you and you've got to accept his forgiveness. Don't be a higher judge than God. Thirdly, reconcile. If remarriage is possible, do it. I, I have done seven remarriages in the years I've been in TVC. That's not a lot. But these are couples that divorced, neither remarried, and they got back together. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing to experience. Thirdly, be pure. No matter what kind of relationship you're in, you be pure. You be pure. Maybe you've been divorced and you're single now, you be pure. Maybe you're a widow, a widower, you be pure. Maybe you're married right now, you be pure. There's a call to purity in the midst of all this. And finally, follow God's command in any relationship you're in. God gives us his commands. We know what they are. And we need to follow after that. If you're struggling in your marriage, let me give two things to you. First of all, you email me and I'll get you some help. We have folks here that'll be glad to counsel you, glad to help you. Secondly, the Palmers, are you guys here this hour? Joe and Colleen, you're here this hour, not here this hour? Well, if they didn't raise a hand, they're not here, right? They do a marriage enrichment class that meets in Loft 2 upstairs at Creekside, 9.30 every Sunday. I invite you to go to that class. I invite you to go. Maybe you just need a marriage tune-up or maybe you need an engine overhaul. You go next week at 9.30. They are excellent teachers on this topic and will walk you through that and be glad to meet with you as well.
Let me remind you of this one. This is an old Swahili statement. When elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The kids suffer more than anybody else when marriages break up. That's who suffers. Innocent kids. And so I pray that you will do everything to fight for your marriage. Well, Pastor Gary, how do we do that? How do we fight for our marriage? Well, let me tell you one way not to do it. There's a funeral procession taking place. There was a woman inside of Starbucks. She was having a morning coffee. She noticed it was quite unusual. She said, the first thing I saw was a long black hearse gone by. And then about 50 feet behind that hearse was a second hearse. And then about 50 feet behind that was a lady walking with a pit bull on a leash. And then behind her in single file were about 75 women. And she said, the curiosity got the best of me. So I made my way out. I went to the lady who was walking the dog on the leash with all the ladies in single file behind her and said, ma'am, I I hate to disturb you at a time like this, but whose funeral is it? And she said, it's my husband's. She said, what happened? Well, my dog here attacked and killed him. Well, who's the second hearse? It's my mother-in-law. She's trying to help my husband when the dog turned on her too. There was a moment of silence between them. And he looked at her and said, she said to her, can I borrow that dog? She said, go get in line. Okay, that's what we're not, things not to do, okay? Not to do right there. Some of you say, where are you at that dog, Pastor Gary? Let me give you five things to avoid if you want to stay connected. Five things to avoid if you want to stay connected. Colossians chapter 3. You with me? Colossians chapter 3. You want to stay connected, you avoid unfaithfulness. This is sexual unfaithfulness. In Colossians 3, 5 through 7, you got it in your Bibles. I've got it on the screen. Put to death. That means to kill, to mortify, to uh, put to death, to consider these things dead. And so the Apostle Paul says in that verse, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, that's the word pernia, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come. You used to walk these way, in these ways in the life that you once lived. He's saying, this is the way you used to be, but now you're a new creature in Christ. You've got the power of Christ in you. You've got the spirit of God living in you. You don't live an immoral life anymore. You don't live an impure life anymore. You don't live with lust anymore. You don't have evil desires and greed anymore. You're a different creature. You kill, you mortify, you slay, you put to death each of these things. That's what he says. And you do it not by your own power, but through the power of the spirit that lives in you. You take these things off. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. Charles Spurgeon said, if you don't whip sin, sin's going to whip you. You put these things off, you throw them off, you get rid of them. And you don't do it because some pastor says you do because you want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And to do that means you live this life of obedience to him because of the power of Christ that comes through you. Amen. Amen. That's why we live pure lives. Paul says, live this way. You now have the spiritual power to do it. Let's apply this topic to marriage. One thing to avoid if you want to stay connected in your home is sexual unfaithfulness. There are men and women in this room who can testify to you how either they messed up a good marriage or were victims of a marriage because of sexual unfaithfulness. Job 31.1 is a verse that, uh, especially men, we're excited. We get sexually stimulated through the eye gate. For women, it's the heart gate. And the scriptures know that. The writers of the scripture know that. The spirit of God knew that. So in Job 31.1, it says this. 
It says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. You got that? Write that verse down. Every man in here needs to write that verse down. You need to memorize that verse. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I, I looked at that. That's one of, my, one of my favorite verses. I made a covenant with my eyes. I. I made a covenant with my eye. <laughs> I get a lot of mileage out of that these days. It's, it's, it's wonderful. In fact, I've got a great story. We don't have time for it. Yeah, we do. We'll take time. We're in, we're, we, we do an all-staff deal once a month where we invite uh, our staff, pastoral staff, our ministry leaders, the ladies in that role. We invite our interns. So there are about 30 of us in the room, and we have lunch together. We go over the calendar. We talk about stuff. And so we were talking in this meeting. Chase is right across from me, and I said something, and he winked at me, and I said, which eye did you wink at? And he said, I'm not sure. I think I winked at your good eye. Which one is it? And I said, you don't know which one? He said, well, I'm not sure right now. And so I reached up and I took it out and said, it's this one. It's not this one at all. <laughs> one of our poor ladies, Victoria, where are you? Where are you? I saw you walk in here this hour. Where are you, Victoria? You're out there somewhere. Where are you? There you are, way in the back, okay? Poor Victoria thought I was going to pass out on the spot. I mean, here I am holding my eye out right there. She just buries her head and goes down. So <laughs> I made a covenant with my eye or eyes not to look lustfully. I should have eyes for that woman right there and no other woman on this planet. The way it should be. Um, the flamingos. Anybody remember that group? You got to be like over 60 to remember. Yeah, there you go. The flamingos. What about Michael Bube? You know him, don't you? You know him. So he, he sings this song too. I only have eyes for you. It, it really comes out of Job 31.1. It, it says this, are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. I only have eyes for you, dear. The moon may be high, but I can't see a thing in the sky. I only have eyes for you. I don't know if we're in a garden or in a crowded avenue. My love must be a blind love. I can't see anyone but you. Shabbat, 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 Shabbat. <laughs> Ten Shabbats. We make fun of their music. Listen to this stuff. It makes absolutely no. What does Shabbat mean? It means absolutely nothing. And we say, oh, what a great love song. It means absolutely nothing, except the song is a great song about I only have eyes for you. That's a great application of Job 31.1, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. Great wisdom in that song. Kill, put to death, slay, mortify, unfaithfulness. Secondly, the untamed tongue. If, if you want to avoid being disconnected and you want to, how to avoid I put how to avoid, how to, how, things to avoid to stay connected, that's how I've got it. Uh, you've got to avoid an untamed tongue. You've got to avoid an untamed tongue. Paul puts it this way. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. I looked up these words to see what they meant. Anger is the Greek word orge. It's a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. Wrath, a sudden burst of anger. Malice, the planning or desire for evil to befall another. Slander, hurtful, defaming speech. Abusive speech, derogatory speech intended to hurt or wound another. Words like, you remind me of your mom. Hurtful speech. I don't really love you anymore. Painful speech. Gossip. Words that wound. Things that uh, pierce your heart like an arrow. Let's camp out on anger for a second. Some of you wound your spouse with caustic words, angry outbursts, temper tantrums, yelling, and even getting physical. You know what you've got a problem with? Not your tongue, it's your heart. 
out of the mouth comes that which defiles the heart. And so if those things come from your lips, you've got a heart condition that needs to be dealt with. Angry words, caustic words, temper tantrums. Getting physical. Let me talk to the men in here. I have this much respect for a man that'll push and hit on a woman. Hey, I'm a big guy. Come push on me. Come push on me. I've got zero respect for a man that's going to hit a woman. And ladies, why would you provoke him? Why would you be sticking your finger in his chest? Go ahead, hit me. Go ahead and hit me. At TBC, yeah, TBC, it happens. Tragically, it happens. It's a hard issue. It's a sad issue. Some of you walk around mad. Some of you live angrily. Uh, your spouse has to walk on pins and needles in their own home. Kids avoid you. Grandkids fear you. Your friends don't want anything to do with you. You get mad at the drop of a hat. You're difficult to live with. One 18-year-old girl said, we call our dad Vesuvius because he's always erupting. What a great nickname. Here comes Vesuvius. Here's an 18-year-old boy who grew up on a farm. He said, uh, my dad is a ticking time bomb. We never know when he's going to go off. When he does, he lashes out with his word. You can't do anything right. Don't be such a fool. I can't tell you how many times I've heard him say, you're not stupid, are you? I didn't ask for that tool. Maybe you are stupid. Breaks my heart to read that stuff. He said, then he punctuates his disgust sometimes by flinging a tool across the door, born, across the barn, or sometimes he throws it at me. But listen to this boy's words. Mostly it's my fault that he's that way. Because I do a lot of stupid things to aggravate him. That's a father who's castrating a son. And I use that word carefully. He's castrating his son with his anger and his words. Recent survey at Princeton University, over 2,000 kids were asked, what bothers you the most at home? You know what the number one answer was? My mom yelling at me. Paul says you put these things off. You put these things off because you have the power of Christ in you. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. That's what the Proverbs said. By the way, we're going to stay disc in this disconnected series up till Easter. We'll do Easter service, and then we're going to do Proverbs after that till through the summer. Uh, third way, a third thing to avoid if you want to stay connected. You avoid, first of all, unfaithfulness. Secondly, an untamed tongue. Thirdly, untruth. The untruth is do not lie to one another since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of the Creator. He says, you don't lie to one another. There are no secrets. You know, Bev has a right to come and pick up my cell phone. Any, she knows this. She can pick up my cell phone anytime she wants and look on it, and it's not going to cause me any angst. She has every password to anything that I have. She knows where I hide my passwords, and she can go and look at anything anytime. I have nothing to hide. And you say, well, Gary, she doesn't do it, but she knows she can do it because there's nothing to hide. There are no secret bank accounts. There are no secret passwords. There are no, no email addresses that your spouse should, should not have access to. If you have nothing to hide, you don't have to keep secrets. But if you've got something to hide, you start lying. And you create this web of lies. And then you forget what the lies are eventually. And sometimes you get caught in your own web. There shouldn't be anything for us to hide. 
shouldn't be anything that my bride doesn't know about me or me about her. Don't lie to one another, he says. Fourthly, uh, well, these are all Proverbs. We'll study them in a couple of weeks. <laughs> running out of time. Things to avoid. You avoid unfaithfulness. You avoid untamed tongue. You avoid untruths. You avoid uh, being unyielding. Being unyielding. That is, never having to say, I'm sorry. Never, ne- ne- never, uh, you're unyielding. You're not patient. You're not compassionate. You're not kind. You're, you're not gentle. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. He says, this is the way you've got to live. Put on love, which is the perfect bond. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. This is what it, sometimes it means this, being patient. Just being patient. Yeah, that picture reminds me of marriage. There are times we just need to be patient with them. You need to wait. We want to put our nose in the bowl all the time. And if you want to be successful in marriage, you know what you do? You quit thinking about yourself and you start thinking about your husband or wife. Remember them? (laughs) This rather joyful couple we've been looking at week after week. They didn't avoid these things. They were disconnected. Can you believe that? So one day they were in the bank in West Texas and uh, they were in the bank and a robber broke in, came into the bank and uh, he told the teller to load a sack full of cash on his way out the door. A brave customer pulled down his mask, pulled down the mask, exposed his face and he shot the customer right there. He saw a teller look up and uh, he shot that teller right there. And then he saw somebody else look up. He said, I said, if anybody looks at my face, I'm gonna kill him. So he killed a third person. Everybody kept their head buried down, including this man and woman in the picture. And he said, Robert screamed, anybody else see my face? The woman raised her hand and said, I think my husband got a pretty good look at you. <laughs> Finally, you want to stay connected? You walk, you want to avoid being disconnected? You walk in unforgiveness. You've got, to, you've got to forgive one another. You'll never forgive more than Christ has forgiven you. Bear with one another. And forgive one another if you have a grievance with anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How much did he forgive you? Totally. Absolutely. 100%. How do you stay connected? You focus on Jesus and you focus on your spouse rather than yourself. Focus on the other and not yourself. Too often we find, you know where we, we shine the spotlight? Right here. And he said, you flip it. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you focus up on that spouse. Here's how I want to end. Worship team, would you guys join me up here? We're going to sing a great song, I Surrender All. It's a great old hymn of the faith, and we're going to sing that because marriage is about surrendering first to Jesus and then surrendering ourselves to our spouses. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with some folks at the end of that. But here's what I want to do before we do that. If you have been married 25 years or longer, I want you to stand up because we want to honor you, and I want you to stay standing. 25 years or longer, you stand up and stay up. We want to honor you. There you go. You are an anomaly in this culture. You are an anomaly in this culture. And we say to God be the glory. You've been married 30 years or more, keep standing. If you've been married 30 years or more, keep standing. 40 years or more, you keep standing. 40 years or more, keep standing. Golden anniversary. You've been married 50 years or more, you keep standing. 50 years or more. There we go. Look at that. Wow. You, you've been married 
60 years or more keep standing. Anybody in here 60 years or more? 60 years or more. Nobody? I had dozens the last two hours. Okay, let me back up 55 years or more. Somebody pop up for me. We got 55 years or more? There we go. Oh, I got a bunch of them now. How many years back there? How many years back there? Don't say it. How many years? 59. How many years? 58 years. How many years? You don't know? All right. Long time. That's all I heard. How many years back there? Somebody years for me. He had to ask her, how many years? 57 years. There we go. Let's thank all these guys. There we go. So if you're married, I want you to stand up. Not a trick question. If you're married, stand up right where you are as couples. So sitting down are going to be some folks that are single, some folks that are widowed, widowers, folks which they were married, folks that have been through difficult times and uh, are not old enough or don't have a significant other yet. And we say, we bless you. I want to pray for the folks that are standing up right now. Father, I pray for these dear friends. I pray their marriages will be marriages to honor Jesus. I pray their days will be filled full with you. I pray that you'll knit their hearts together to you and then to one another. It's you we love. And because of that, we want to love one another well. 